This is Energy of Business Moments with Michael Seip, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant people on the planet. Hear their stories and get the most important business lessons they have learned on their road to success and get exclusive advice on how to implement their business success into your life and business. Energy of Business Moments is brought to you by the Strategic Advisor Board and your host, Michael Seip. Hello, everyone. I am Michael Seip, host of the Energy of Business Moments podcast. Today, I'm going to have a great guest on. He is Dan Simpkins. He is the CEO and owner of Dwellwell Analytics, and he has an extensive entrepreneurship background. Not only has he had many years of experience, in fact, decades of experience, but his grandfather and father have also been entrepreneurs. So when we talk about a mindset for entrepreneurship and small business, Dan definitely has one, and I'm excited to pick his brain a little on how he's approaching not only his business, but the energy of being a leader in his business. So Dan, welcome to the show. Glad to have you here. Well, Michael, thank you very much. I'm really excited to be here. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, Dan, let's dive right in and talk a little bit about your history and where you've been um, from an entrepreneurship and technology perspective, and then we can talk a little bit more about where you are today. Great. Well, I appreciate it. Um, I, so I started my career as an electrical engineer, uh, working for engineering firms. But after a short period of time, I knew, as, as you mentioned in my introduction, that um, entrepreneurship was in my blood. Um, and there was a, a situation that occurred where I was working for a company that was going through a, a downturn, and I had a, an opportunity uh, to go out and, and start my own company. Um, things actually were, were sort of at a low point um, in that company, and uh, my situation changed in a way that uh, made me sort of question whether I wanted to work for somebody or whether I wanted to, uh, to, you know, to do my own thing. And so I started my, my first company. Um, that company was called Salix. Um, I've actually, as, as you mentioned, I've run multiple companies. Um, Salix was my first, and then I subsequently ran a company called Hillcrest Labs. And um, then a number of years ago, had an opportunity to start Global Analytics. Um, and so as I progressed throughout my career, um, I developed a set of entrepreneurial rules. Um, interestingly, after I sold Salix successfully, I started writing a book on entrepreneurship. Uh, called The Ten Laws of the Entrepreneur. Um, as luck would have it, I never finished the book. I, um, uh, the, the company that had purchased my company, Salix, my telecom company, decided to get out of that business. And my, uh, my leadership team approached me and asked me if I would consider starting a new company. And I said, well, I'm writing this book on entrepreneurship. And they said, well, you know, you could, you could do that some other time. We, we'd rather have you uh, start another company. And I, I wound up putting the book um, on the shelf, and I, I started Hillcrest Labs. But there's something in that book that I, I think I'd, I'd love to share um, as, as a, what, what I think is, is sort of a cornerstone of the way I think about technology entrepreneurship. And um, I have this saying that, that goes something like this, that you have to go over the line to see the line. And so, in other words, um, as a tech entrepreneur, or even as, as a business entrepreneur, you have to imagine yourself in the world of science fiction. You have to place yourself in the future and then sort of turn around and look at where is that line between reality and fiction. 
and see how you as the entrepreneur can move that line forward. Um, and so throughout my career, that, that's what I've done. And I'd say my superpower, um, if you will, is, is identifying trends that other people don't see. Um, is really identifying things early. So in my first company, it was voice over, over the internet, internet communications. Um, my second company was um, in, in interactive TV. We actually created what we now call smart TV. And now, excitingly, in Dwellwell, um, it's this opportunity to digitize homes and create this um, really transformational technology that will help people manage their most important asset. And so that's a little bit about my background. Yeah, that's really fascinating, actually, Dan, because there's the whole tech side and making tech work and making it usable for everyday people is a tremendous challenge. And so I love your idea of as a, as a tech entrepreneur going into the future to go, how do I get to this point? I think I think that saying is is totally apropos to how a lot of tech people need to think about where do they go because as, as you know so many innovative tech ideas fail it's a staggering percentage it's something like 85 to 90% right. of of tech fails right and so when you when you talk about the methodologies or ways to get to the point of value creation success at the end there are a lot of steps along the way, and this is one of them where if you want to build a team that's going to be successful in bringing that to market, you've got to be able to make sure everybody understands the vision. Uh, I, absolutely. And I, I would add that one of the things that um, really defines a successful tech entrepreneur is that perseverance and grit. Um, but it's also, it's about leadership. And, you know, it's not the same as just creating, okay, even even in, in my family, um, historically, they were in retail businesses. And so many people had created retail businesses before, and the steps were reasonably well known. You might not know where your business is going. Um, but in the tech world, you have to actually be able to lead your team into an unknown and to be able to create the vision, but also to help them understand that there are going to be failures. There are going to be those moments, those low moments. and if you give them a picture of how you see the future unfold, it helps them basically punch through those moments that um, that sometimes can be daunting. Yeah, that is spot on. Uh, very, very important piece there for them to have that. So when we talk a little bit too about those failures and those low moments, as a leader in that position, no doubt you've had more than just one. So could you reflect back on one or two that were just low moments for you and how you adapted to that, how you shifted mentally to get through that? I um, <laughs> We could take the rest of the afternoon. <laughs> I would say, um, you know, I, when I think about it, when I actually give entrepreneurs guidance, this is a topic that I talk about you know, the low moments. And um, the first one was with my first company, Salix. So at that company, for the first two years, so I bootstrapped that company. There was no investors, you know, per se. I mean, we basically one day set out to build a technology company from scratch. And I started by creating a consulting company where I would help other technology players, other companies build technology in areas where, that I was strong in. So I would basically sell my, my time and my expertise. And I brought on a core team, a small team, just a few people, 
uh, to work with me who are experts in their respective areas. But in those first couple of years, because we bootstrapped, I pushed my team really, really hard. And, you know, you heard people say, I like to work smart, not hard, right? And I would tell my team, we have to work smart and hard because that's the only way people were going to buy from a complete unknown. They were going to trust. We had to give, you know, commit less and give more, if you will. And so I pushed them really, really hard. And I didn't listen to them very well. I didn't listen to just how much they were straining in that process. And after about, you know, a year and a half, two years, one by one, my team quit. First person quit. And I thought, all right, you know, people move on, but then the next person quit. And then the next person quit. And then one day I literally arrived in my office and it was me in the four wall. And I thought, how did I get here? Like I was completely blind to this process. I was working so hard. Literally, there were days that I actually slept under my desk. That's how hard we were working. And I, uh, my head in my hands, and I actually just cried. I'm like, I, I don't know how I'm going to survive through this. Um, and I kind of took a step back. And so how do I get past those tough times? I, pl- I do exactly what I did when I sort of answered that first question. I, I put myself in the future only from a different perspective, not a tech future, but a business future. And I think if I can get past this point, where will we go with this? And I remember I, my, this key person quit and I, I was in the midst of pitching a major business account, a huge customer that would have been transformational. And the key engineer that was going to work with me on it quit. And I, I called the customer and I said, his name was Brian. I said, Brian, I got to tell you, I got really bad news. I mean, we're in the midst of this pitch, but this other, you know, my, my lead engineer just quit and we're kind of, I'm, it's just me and, and the four walls. And he said, you know what, Dan, we put our faith in you. We put our faith in you and we know that you can pull it off. What you've proposed to us is, is really spectacular and we're going to push forward and we're going to be successful together. And having this customer put his faith in me actually was just this moment of light that I realized, wow, I was just in this moment of complete darkness. And now I sort of see where things could go. And I kind of picked myself up. I hired a new team and the company went on to be wildly successful, wildly successful. So I think, you know, the lesson for me was I was not listening. I was not seeing the signs of stress that my team was going through even after one person and then two people and three people quit. I just was completely blind to it. I was so hyper-focused and, um, and I, I learned a really valuable lesson there. So that was a, really a, a significant one. Um, another time actually was, was in a completely different place. My second company, Hillcrest, had raised large amounts of venture capital. We were doing extremely well. We had developed what we now call Smart TV. We had signed a, a huge uh, television customer and we were negotiating multiple deals and the economy collapsed. It was 2000. We literally launched our company in the summer of 2008 where we launched our first products and just a few months later, the market went off a cliff and our we lost customers, and frankly, what we lost was the support of our investors because they said, look, we have no idea how long things are going to take to recover, and we were in a fundraise because we had you know, we had pushed really hard. We had used up the money. We were ready to launch the company and the product, um, and the investors basically um, pulled out and, 
and wouldn't fund. And I, I had to make a really tough choice. Um, I wound up laying off and, and letting go a large part of my team. We had to restructure. We pivoted the business. Um, and we hunkered down and we, we doubled down on, on the company. But it was a very dark time. It was a moment where I thought I was going to lose everything that I worked for years uh, to accomplish. And so there, it was really about perseverance. It was about grit. It was about knowing who was loyal to the company, but it was also being able to adjust our strategy in real time and come out the other side successfully. And, and that we did. We, we came out the other side and, and we, I wound up running the company for almost 17 years until I, I sold it. So it was, uh, these are just a couple of those, those moments. Yeah, thank you for sharing those. I appreciate both of them quite a bit. And I, going back to the first story, you know, I think that that low moment where you're the only one in the room and realizing everybody else has left, obviously you reflect back on yourself and go, what did I do, right? Yeah. So when you talked about having that customer, having the faith in what you had provided, how uplifting was that you talked about it moving from dark to light but how uplifting was it for self-confidence for you as a leader because at that moment it sounded like you're pretty dark and questioning how much of a leader you were well it's fascinating because luckily i had really good advisors and friends and advisors and one of my closest confidants advisors and i, I want to talk about this for a, a little bit but he had actually said to me not at this moment but previously he had said to me look dan you need to know that success has nothing to do with what you do right but everything to do with how you react to what you do wrong yeah. and and it, it's that moment where you have to actually dig deep but you have to be humble in how you perceive yourself, even as a leader, having accomplished many great things, at that moment, you have to say, I really messed this up. And you have to be willing to look yourself in the mirror and see what did you do and what can you do differently going forward. It was definitely, for me, that moment shook my confidence tremendously. I mean, I had many a moment that shook my confidence, obviously, because that particular um, line that, that my former advisor had, had actually shared with me was many years before when I had actually made a big mistake in my career, and he propped me up. And so one of the things that I learned there was that I myself needed to be able to rise to the occasion. I needed to have faith in myself, but I also had to be willing to have faith in others. And that's something that I had spent a lot of my career realizing like I needed to take care of myself. I never wanted to be in a situation where I wasn't the master of my own destiny. It was part of what I learned from my, my parents and grandparents. That's why they went into entrepreneurship. They wanted to be masters of their own destiny, but they, also, they, they wanted to um, take their great ideas and push them forward. But that can get you wrapped around um, kind of a, an egotistical you know, place that um, can really mess you up. It can, it can make you do the wrong thing. And so those low moments to me are resets. They're moments when I can kind of look back at myself and realize, you know what, you're confident, you're good at what you do, but there's, there are a lot of things to learn. And there are a lot of times when you have to you know, react to what you do wrong. Um, and you have to do that with integrity and humility at the same time. And if you do that, you live to fight another day. 
Yeah, great point about integrity and humility, because the integrity piece is being honest with yourself. And then the humility is like, as you mentioned earlier, the, the ego sometimes wants to get in control there. And especially when you're owner of your business, you, you have that sense of wanting to control everything. And when you talk about, you know, letting go and being a little more humble, that also means that you create the environment where people can be trusted. And when they're trusted, then they step up and become loyal to the company. So I, I think you hit on a very, very important point. And and the part about pivoting and shifting uh, to a different perspective is all part of what I teach in the energy coaching side of, you know, the thoughts and our emotions and our actions. And so you just highlighted perfectly how to do that perseverance and shift and, and take a little different take. And I also really think that it's important for entrepreneurs to remember, too, your point of, like, you had a mentor or a series of advisors that you relied on that you could kind of fall back on. And, and they definitely stepped up for you and contributed, not just your customer, but in this case, for you in a reflective point. Yeah, I, I think you just made a point that I, t I want to double down on, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, because throughout my career, I've actually turned to those experts, those advisors, many times over. Some of my best times to learn about myself have been when I've been mentoring young students and giving back at, at, at the college level. And I often, I, and this actually happened not too long ago, um, a student that I was mentoring actually said to me, Dan, would you mind if I give you a piece of advice? And um, <laughs> I found that was, that was just one of the high points of my career at that moment. Because he also um, trusted me, but also recognized I, I was, I obviously was presenting a, a, an emotional state that allowed myself to be vulnerable and open to getting advice, even from somebody who was much younger and less experienced. And it was just, it was, so this, this idea of finding mentors and never knowing, don't ever assume um, that a mentor has to be some luminary in your industry. It could be anybody who has something to say about you and your business that could be valuable. And so I, I just wanted to double down on that point. Yeah, thank you. Creating that environment where a manager or leader in particular has an openness, an air about them, that emotional state you mentioned of being open to suggestion or ideas. Quite often when I see failures in leadership, is the idea that everything has to be very command and control focused and it's very narrow stovepiped and when problems arise which they always do the likelihood of an employee or a junior person stepping up and saying hey i've got a solution or idea is much less but when you're open like you were talking about these ideas will come from wherever and they can be the best ideas and if you don't create that culture environment for sharing and collaboration and you set that tone as a leader, then you're not going to be flexible enough And uh, when those challenges mm -hmm. come. So I, I'm glad you doubled down on that. That, that was beautiful. Good. Great. Well, tell me, Dan, you know, we talked a little bit about some, some low points, and those were wonderful. But, you know, being a, an entrepreneur or a business owner or CEO, there are definitely some high moments, and we sometimes forget a lot of them. But, but maybe, you know, for you, you might have had a phase or maybe a couple of instances where those high moments were something that you became really grateful for or you really 
you know, really to till today still feel pretty strongly about. Could you share with us maybe something about that side? Yeah, um, I would. I would be glad to look. As a tech entrepreneur, I think the high points are very straightforward. There are those moments. We we started the the discussion around going over the line to see the line, right? Placing yourself in the world of science fiction, um, and so clearly the high points are when you actually can convert that science fiction into reality. When you could say, I actually imagined something that had never been done before, and I brought it to life. Uh, that to me, and, and really that's what drives me. It's, um, it's kind of like, it's, it's funny because um, I took up golf very late in life. Interestingly, I never had time. Certainly golf, I don't know if you golf, but golf is a game that you have to put a lot of time and energy into it to be able to do. And I just never had the time or the energy. And throughout my career, often people would say, hey, let's do a deal on the golf course. Let's go to the golf course. Did you play golf? Or or a venture capitalist would say, great, we're going to celebrate our deal together and let's play golf. And I just never could play golf. Um, And so a few um, years ago, I finally got to a point where I thought, I think I can actually take up the game of golf. And I started taking lessons. And so uh, what I remember is one of my early instructors, we were out and I, I went golfing and I, I hit this incredible putt, like a 30 foot putt. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is great. And he said, see, that's all you need is those little moments to make you keep coming back. Right. And so I think the same thing really applies, um, you know, maybe in a little deeper way in the entrepreneurial world. Uh, But for me, it's generally conceiving of a product, building it and then seeing the smile on my customer's face when they actually engage it or use it for the first time and succeed. And so I've been incredibly fortunate um, to have some of those those. Um, high point. So I'll just touch on a few, um, a, a couple of them, because I and I want to focus mostly on the high points of my current business. Um, but it turns out that in that first business that I talked about, the one where I was by myself, the um, the customer actually needed a communications technology that no one had ever made, and actually had gone to a number of large companies and asked them to bid on this particular technology. I won't go into the details. I won't bore the listeners. But suffice to say, it was a, it was orders of magnitude beyond what had existed. And this customer needed this um, in order to be successful. And um, and it was a major, this, this was not a little customer. This was the U.S. government, and they had a particular need. So, and what had happened is they went around to multiple companies and asked those companies to bid on this, and everybody said, no, it's not possible. And finally, one day, they were asking the CEO of a major telecom company, hey, we need you to make this technology. And he said, no, I, I don't, I, I, we can't do it. Um, and, they, and the customer said, well, do you know anybody who can? And they said, well, not really, but actually, if anybody could, probably Dan may be the one guy who can. Right. And so I got a call from this government person and we wound up proposing this crazy solution to what at the time really appeared to be impossible. And it was one of those things he said, well, can you do blah, 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 blah. And I hung up the phone and I turned to my team and I said, and I had said, oh, yeah, of course we could do that. I'm like, how are we going to do that? And 18 months later, we delivered it. We, we built the, 
you know, the, the first of its kind. And we actually brought it to, and of course, he was watching it every step of the way, rooting for us. But it was sort of that moment where we came in and we presented it to him and his boss and his boss's boss all the way up the chain and actually demonstrated this technology. And just to see the just the look on on this sort of this organization's face all collectively like wow we and literally the the lead person who was a actually an admiral in the navy basically said look dan literally as recently as two months ago even though you kept making these the incremental steps we just never thought it was going to happen we really um but we were rooting for you but we never thought and so this these moments when you you can actually sort of realize that you have achieved what what other people frankly said was impossible um was was something that um that that's that's the kind of thing that really makes me want to jump into the abyss um, most recently i think the dwellwell is a really exciting project and so i'll i'll just sort of share the the story a little bit so many years ago i have a home that is a a second home i had a couple of pipes froze in that house then when they thawed, the house flooded and was largely destroyed. It was, a matter of fact, uh, we got a call from a, a housekeeper who was going to the, to the house to clean it, that when she arrived at the house, water was flowing out the front door. It was a catastrophe. And I've been working for 10 years in the smart home technology arena, doing smart TV. And I saw a lot of innovation in smart home. There was lots of, of work being done in, in new types of security systems and new automation. But no one was thinking about the health of the home. How would we make the home itself smarter? And so I realized that I had become an expert in sensors and AI. And my CTO, my chief technology officer, had been a, an expert in analytics and software and electronics. And I sort of came up with this observation that all the cars on the road, you know, all 100 million plus have a check engine light. But yet none of the homes, none of our homes have a check engine light. And so I came up with this idea of building a check engine light for homes. We wound up selling the company. I wound up taking this idea with me. And shortly after we finished the integration, I turned to my CTO and I said, hey, we had this idea. It's a really cool idea. And no one is doing something like this. Um, what do you think? And so we basically built this concept around the idea of a check engine light for homes. And we would go, uh, we started to talk to investors in the real estate community, and they all said, oh, that's impossible. Can't be done. It's too complicated. It'll be too expensive. And so my wife likes to say that the worst possible thing you could say to Dan is it can't be done, right? That, because, you know, I will obviously work hard to prove them wrong, prove the naysayers wrong. So uh, Chuck and I, uh, Chuck Ritten, my co-founder and I, dove in and we began uh, working on this this technology. And so flash forward, we, we survived the pandemic. That was a low point. <laughs> um, it was one of those moments. But we, we actually survived through it. We built this technology. And I remember early in my quest to find an investor, I approached a prospective investor who said, who was in the real estate community and as a real estate professional, he said, Dan... I don't want to be an investor. I want to be your first customer. Because if you could do half of what you say, this will be a miracle for us. This will be a game changer. And so flash forward two and a half years, and he became my first customer. And what was really exciting, um, and this sort of high point, it's that 30-foot putt, you know, what was, we actually arrived at his, at the building that we were trialing the technology. 
Um, that way, it was it was a, the the first customer sale we made, and we installed the electronics, the product check engine, in um, in the building. But within just uh, you know an hour of us doing the installation, we discovered a major problem as a result of doing the installation, and um, it was a problem with the electrical system. And we um, said to the customer as we were installing, "Hey, we found this problem, but we're really not sure it's real. So just." Don't do anything about it. Just leave it till we could verify that everything is in. And so a couple of days later, we went back to do the testing to find out, to, you know, hook up equipment to make sure this electrical problem was really there. And there was no problem. The problem was gone. And thought, oh, 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 well, I guess we were wrong. So we went to the customer and we said, hey, you know, you know, we're, we're apologized, but we, we thought there was a problem, but there isn't really a problem. And the customer, who's the operations manager for this building, said, oh, no, 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 there was a problem. I went to my boss, and I told him about this problem, and he said, are you kidding? They discovered that? Do you know how risky that is? I want you to fix it immediately. And, um, you know, he, he wound up fixing it and thanking us and saying, you know what, really, like, right out of the chute, you just potentially saved our building from burning down. This was a, was a fire hazard. And... Um, and so just having that feedback, that positive feedback that what you're doing is real and meaningful is just is what keeps me going. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fantastic story. Fantastic story. Absolutely. Yeah. Those are two really good examples of those 30 foot putts. And right. And those are those might be few and far between. But but I think that's part of that visioning process you talked about before, too, is like not only do you need to like kind of look back see see where you need to to go to get to that point is also the the feeling that you have that elation or that inner satisfaction that all that hard work you put into getting to that point was so valuable and so you know quite often when we do that visioning process it's to also have that attached feeling of the gratitude or the euphoria like wow it worked or what you know whatever it is right that right. that is characteristic of that higher energy emotion so that was wonderful Thanks for sharing right. that. You're welcome. Good. Well, I was going to ask you a little bit more about Dwell Well, but you, you covered it pretty well there <laughs> in the end. So so that's that's wonderful. Um, and then I love what you what you offer there. I think that's a really, really valuable product to, to be putting out there. And as a systems engineer myself, as a former background, I'm thinking about all the components there and how you would make that work. And then and then to, to pull that off is is amazing. And it is a game changer. Absolutely. Nice. So, yeah. Dan, if you could meet anybody, we've talked about, you know, advisors and mentors, but if you could meet anybody deceased or living to, to pick their brain a little bit, who would that be and why? Uh, wow, that is a really tough question. Um, so I've actually given this a lot of thought over the years, um, and it, come, it ebbs and flows. Um, I, I think um, I, I actually, I have two different folks from two completely different worlds. So I want to, uh, if you'll indulge me, um, I'll go a little deeper in one, um, but I, I do want to touch on, on the other one as well for, for reasons that'll be obvious, I think. Um, the, the first person is, is actually a little bit nerdy. It's, it's a gentleman by the name of Michael Faraday, right? So um, you're a systems engineer. So Faraday... Um, Faraday is, in, for many folks, considered the father of electrical engineering. 
Right. And um, so Faraday was born in the late 1700s, the early 1800s when his career really um, came about. And there are some really cool things about Faraday that are, um, I think, are make me want to meet him. The first thing was that he was he had no technical training at all. Of course, in that era, there weren't a lot of people that had technical training. But surprisingly, certainly in the mechanical world, there were, were folks that had had expertise. But he had no technical training. Uh, he grew up very poor. Um, I actually grew up in a you know somewhat of a um, challenged financial um, place. Um, so he grew up very poor, and he needed a job. So he apprenticed at a a bookmaker, a bookbinder. Um, and he uh, he was just a worker. He he really was just a, a laborer, if you will. Um, but he wanted to um, you know to go ex- sort of extend beyond his station. And so the way he learned is he read all the books that he was actually working on that he was binding. And he became fascinating with science um, and physics and and the physical world and started to study it. And he then actually reached out to a well-known researcher and said, I want to become your apprentice. I I want to actually uh, learn under you. And ultimately convinced that person to take him on or actually to place him in apprenticeship. And and through that process, he ultimately discovered the laws of electromagnetism. And frankly, so he, he figured out the original principles that blended electricity and magnetism. And frankly, he's having a moment, which is why it's relevant, because without Faraday, right, you know, the, this transformation away from fossil fuels to electric to electric vehicles and, and you know, electricity everywhere was, is really made possible by Faraday, who discovered kind of the, the laws of induction and, and how to generate electricity with through generators and sort of all the principles that all these electric motors that drive much of the world, uh, it wouldn't be possible without Faraday. And so this idea of raw, inquisitive, sort of innate curiosity and a willingness to learn at all costs is something that just really was, of course, important and ultimately his discoveries changed the world. And so that's, so, so Faraday is a little bit of a nerdy one. And then on a completely different front, um, another person that I always wanted to meet Moses. We know of Moses from the Bible. Everyone reads it, no matter what religion you are. And um, But here was somebody literally really sort of took on this leadership role, even though he didn't ask for it. It was asked of him, right? And so he actually led through humility, compassion, through bravery, through intellect, and he kind of brought all those things together to also do something really transformational, so uh, to essentially create a nation, if you will. So it was, these are just two totally different people that I think would be cool to meet and learn from. And really, um, I think for both of them, I would want to know, you know, what was your spark, of, you know, what, what ultimately drove you to achieve what you, what you achieved? Yeah, even though it's tech, you know, it's one of those world-changing people. And, and so that, that's a great one. I hadn't thought of him in a long time. And and then of course Moses and the challenges he had and just the life and what he gained, man, that would be a great one too. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, Dan, I've absolutely enjoyed every part of this show today and really benefited uh, immensely from from having you on. And I love the idea of being curious. You know, you'd asked me earlier what did I enjoy most about doing this and what got me into it is really the curiosity. 
what are other people going through? And I, when you talked a little bit about that curiosity piece of Faraday, that that's a, that's a good, really good one. So, Dan, I'm sure there's some people that would love to pick your brain some more. How can they get a hold of you and find out a little bit more about DwellWell or, or anything else about you that you might want to share? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, thank you for, for taking the time um, today. I, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. You can find us at www.dwellwell.ai. That's, that's a key, dwellwell.ai, Dwellwell Analytics. Um, you can, there's a place where you could reach out and, and contact us. Um, and contact me. You could find me on LinkedIn. I'm I'm there under Dan Simpkins. And please don't hesitate um, if you if you have folks that would like to reach out to me. And uh, we're and we're out there. We're recruiting. We're building our company. So um, we're doing some really exciting things, blending uh, sensors and and um, AI and the smart home together in in really unique and meaningful ways. So um, Michael, it was really a pleasure. I enjoyed speaking with you today. Yeah, great having you on the show and and wish you all the best. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Hey, listeners and viewers. If you enjoyed this discussion and want more, you can learn how to raise the energy of your business at the SAP website or my own website, sipecoaching.com, where you can find specialized programs and offers to help you grow yourself and your business. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Energy of Business Moments with your host, Michael Seip. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates and we will see you on the next episode.